1: Streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and
0: Stephen Furst. Welcome to the show. We have an exciting, inspiring, and educational show today. Uh, we have Mark Smolowitz with us. He's the director and producer of a movie called The Power of Two, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that. But I think what is also exciting is he's an Academy Award-winning nominated director. So, Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Lori. I'm very happy to be here today.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about uh, this movie that you uh, produced and directed called The Power of Two.
1: Definitely. My pleasure. So so The Power of Two is a feature documentary inspired by the life stories of twin sisters. Um, their names are Annabelle Stenzel and Isabel Stenzel-Burns, and they go by Anna and Issa. Um, Anna and Issa um, are half Japanese, um, and they have grown up Um, with the genetic uh, disease, cystic fibrosis. And cystic fibrosis is a devastating lung disease that over time uh, patients get sicker and sicker and sicker. And, you know, really depending on, you know, sort of the genetic, you know, backbone of of the individual person's disease will depend on how quickly they get sick. Some CF patients, oh, cystic fibrosis is also commonly referred to as CF, so I'll I'll use CF quite often in this interview. But um, depending on their genetic backbone, you know, c f you know some patients get sicker in their teens, some in their twenties, some in their thirties, and you know some later but but typically somewhere you know somewhere in you know in the c f experience you know the lung disease will get quite progressive and it becomes very, very hard to breathe, deep, deep mucus, and it's unbearable, and the only the only solution to address that is lung transplantation, double lung transplantation. So my film is really takes you through Anna and Issa's life story. Um, it's inspired by their co-written memoirs. So they are writers and they wrote a memoir, um, also called The Power of Two, and and I kind of you know took on the job of bringing their memoir to screen. But the sort of unique aspect of what I did was I also went with them to Japan, because their book was acquired and published by a Japanese um, book publisher uh, in two thousand nine, and that gave us an opportunity to sort of see the twins being um, advocates for other patients um, in Japan, uh, which is their mother's native country. And Japan is quite, um, uh, the organ donation is still quite rare and controversial over there, and there are a lot of reasons why that is the case. So that was the early part of production, and then sort of came back um, once we got the Japan piece under our belt, and then I set off to tell the U.S. side of their story. So the film is really kind of a beautiful comparison of the U.S. and Japan through the eyes of Anna and Issa, and then all of the people who are around them—friends, um, family, uh, you know, healthcare providers, de- doctors, and medical experts—and we we really learn a lot about chronic illness, about organ donation and transplantation um, across cultures.
0: Well, one thing that you know, the people listening to the show. Uh most of them or some of them or their family is waiting for a kidney transplant. And, you know, the advantage we have is that there's dialysis to keep you alive until a transplant is available. But somebody with um, cystic fibrosis, if they're at the end stage, they really need an organ transplant. And you really can't get a transplant from a living donor you need a deceased donor, which makes this even more compelling to uh, uh, let people know the importance of organ donation.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, so a big a big part of the story behind The Power of Two is that, you know, both Anna and Issa, you know, their transplants were made possible by way of deceased donors and deceased donate, organ donation, you know, is a really important part of the story that, you know, has not been given a lot of Sort of attention in the mainstream. There has been some attention in the mainstream, but not a lot of documentaries have dealt with that. But what that means is that someone, you know, had to die, and their family had to consent or say yes to organ donation during the time of what was likely a tragedy. Um, and it's you know, it's a very powerful thing for a family to be approached at that time, and and then to also say yes. Um, similarly, the film does look at that similar dynamic in Japan and. Kind of compares that uh, with the United States, and it's it's quite different in Japan. I mean, Japan is um has very different um different perspective on death and dying and what that means. And so obviously, the decision to say yes to organ donation, you know, comes with a lot more, you know, of a Japanese perspective um, because of that. So, so the film does we do meet donor families in Japan, and when we were over there shooting. We had, a, you know, a pretty amazing opportunity to interact with with, with donor families. There are a very small number of donor families. Donor families that get very little recognition over there, and that is part of what we sort of uncovered that there's a lack of visibility of donor families, either deceased or living. And the idea that, you know, that, that this is something to be kind of recognized and honored is, is a very new concept over there.
0: Well, in Japan, uh, can you explain a little bit uh, why uh, they don't want to donate? Like here in the U.S., we still have difficulties with donation because people are, are not educated about it. But we have a pretty specific criteria that it's brain death. And Japan, is that different?
1: Well, um, it is and it isn't. I mean, you know, Japan's story is that you know it's it's taken taken a little bit longer for the country and the culture to kind of sort of align with um, you know what we think are you know sort of the current med- medically accepted ways of doing things. It is that way for a number of reasons. Um, one thing that we uncovered while we were over there is that there was a transplantation scandal in the 1960s that really put a have a black mark on on transplantation um, medically. Um, there was a, a doctor named Dr. Juro Wada who performed the first heart transplantation in Japan in 1968. And the patient, I think he lived for 82 days. And then there was a whole scandal around that transplant. Um, there was a, a lot of ethical issues that were waged against Dr. Wada. Um, he was actually charged with two counts of murder. He was eventually acquitted. And that That whole story really left a black mark on transplantation and and that that story is actually featured in my film, part of the Japan kind of backstory um then so outside of the medical scandal that happened then in in the mid twentieth century, there are a number of sort of spiritual beliefs and cultural beliefs about death and dying and brain death versus cardiac death that inform people's sense of experience around around what it means to you know donate an organ um in, in Japan, uh, people believe that death happens when the heart stops, not when the brain stops. And only in recent years have de- um, definitions of brain death actually been made into law. So they actually are the defining aspect of death alongside cardiac death. And, and those are recent changes that have made it possible to sort of see a, some somewhat of an increase in the numbers of organ transplants happening in Japan. Um, But you also have some very specific cultural beliefs on the part of the Japanese. I mean, there are some uh, specific beliefs around reincarnation that people have that are really about folks believing that they are going to need certain organs for the next life, right? So you can't give them away because if you give them away, you won't have them for, for the next life or even for the afterlife. So for example, I can't give away my corneas because then I won't be able to see my loved ones in the afterlife. You know, that kind, those kinds of spiritual assumptions.
0: That's pretty amazing because it's, uh, you know, I I think it's so commonplace over here. And I've, you know, I've now had four kidney transplants, so I've relied on the kindness of others for my whole life. And mm-hmm. just to walk into another culture that may not accept that is probably uh, very interesting to, you know, see and witness. It's just much more accepted here. Although I did get a cartoon this morning in the mail sent to me about a person waking up in a tub of ice with a, a, basically a note and, you know, their kidney was removed in a telephone. I mean, this is this legend that, you know, floats around the Internet. And, uh, you know, I said, well, who wakes up in a tub of ice? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know, you know. And it it is some of these um stories get passed on and they make people afraid of donating.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I mean I think a lot of what, you know, comes out of viewing my film is that US audiences will 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 learn a lot about the United States system as well because we do follow patients and and we learn from experts sort of how people get listed for transplant and You know, we learn a lot about some of the myths and assumptions of organ donation here on the state side, and then we compare that with the Japan experience, too. And I think that my hope is that both countries, both cultures, will sort of be able to look at the other and kind of learn from the other a little bit. My approach as a filmmaker, you know, in going to Japan and in sort of shooting that story and uncovering what was going on there was, I hope, a very respectful one. You know, I really set out to learn, you know, why did the Japanese believe the way that they do about organ donation, and that this is a you know very complex sort of tapestry of belief systems that you have to honor. Uh, my intention was never to say, oh, the U.S. is better, or the U.S. is further along, or somehow we're more advanced, but rather to frame the question of, like, you know, for such an advanced nation like Japan, you know, why are they so—I mean, they are— The lowest of the lowest, uh, of all industrialized nations, they have the lowest numbers of organ transplants in every category, and surprisingly low numbers. Now, recent changes to the law in 2009 are already making a big difference in the numbers, and that that also comes through in my film. So you learn about the change in 2009 and the advocates who made that happen, and then you also see Anna and Issa advocating for organ donation awareness here in the United States. And that's part of their story. Like the the story that I capture about Ananise is that as patients, you know, much like yourself, you know, they've made a decidedly personal choice to be very public about their story. And they are using their story to advocate for others. And, you know, my perspective is that very often when people have been sick, whether it's with a chronic illness or an acute illness, you know, or or something very powerful, you know, if, if they get a transplant, you know, they may or may not want to go public about it. In fact, very often people want to retreat back into their private lives, be with their families and just live healthy lives. And you can't blame people for that because it's, once you've been sick, it's a lot, a lot to have gone through. But some patients, you know, miraculously come out of a transplant and feel really compelled to give back. And Anna and Issa are in that category. And And the way that they give back I found very very compelling and the fact that they are twins doing it together has all, also is very compelling. And so the film traces their advocacy story, like how they go to Washington and they they do work in Washington to advance the cause of organ donation there, how they go every year to the Donate Life um float and use you know and go and make that a place where they engage with the um national organ donation community, create more awareness. So there's and of, course the, and, of course, the transplant game. So there's many places on their itinerary each year that they just are a part of the, the fabric of the world of organ donation and transplant. But I think for them it's really about advocacy, and that's the part that I think is really special.
0: You made another film that was nominated for Academy Award called The Weather Underground. Um, so how did you pick this story to be one of the stories you wanted to tell, the story of The Power of Two?
1: Sure. No, that's a great question. I mean, you know, for me, I it's funny. I I really believe that these things kind of unfold the way they're supposed to. And I, you know, this this story really landed in my lap in a pretty, pretty unusual but amazing way. Um, Andrew Burns, who is Issa's husband and Anna's brother in law, he's someone that I knew here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, here in the local community. And It's funny how you know people in different settings kind of publicly and professionally, and you don't know a lot about their personal lives. And he and I have been very involved in local philanthropy and local volunteerism and different groups that we were members of. And I think he knew that I was a filmmaker. He was aware of The Weather Underground and another film I had done called Trembling Before God. And both both films are are very well-known, I produced. And I think he saw them, and, and all of a sudden I get this unsolicited email from him Letting me know about his wife and his sister in law's story, and that they have this book, and that this book has been acquired by a Japanese p- a publisher going to be released in Japan, that there was going to be a book tour. and he basically was just sort of inquiring if I knew anyone in Japan that I could help him reach out to that might film the twins doing some of their um, their different medical talks um, around the country in Japan. And as we talked about the opportunity, I just I found it to be a really interesting opportunity. And I said, you know, well maybe I want to be the person to go over with you and film these talks and, you know, let me let me read the book and and see what I think can be done. And then I read Anna and Issa's memoir, The Power of Two, a, a Twin Triumph Over cystic, cystic Fibrosis, and I knew we had something very powerful to do together. I mean the film the, the memoir the memoir reads beautifully. Anna and Issa do an incredibly powerful job of sharing their story. They each have individual voices in the book where they sort of put an incredibly unique lens on the experience with chronic illness. They're very candid. They're very raw, but very accessible. And I felt like this was, this was something that was really sort of worthy of being, being treated in, in the context of a feature documentary. I could see it on screen as I was reading it, you know. And so, so it landed on my, in my lap that way, and Andrew and I decided to produce it together and to make the Japan piece happen because this was just a couple months out before the Japan trip was happening and kind of we sort of we we got together, we moved quickly, got a lot of resources in place and we executed this really amazing, you know, tour through Japan with a film crew and then we came back and then I figured out sort of my way forward to tell the rest of the story. So it was an incremental process of figuring out, you know, what is this film going to be and how am I going to tell this story? And of course, Anna and Issa were always very engaged with me and invested in making it happen, and sort of collaborating on the direction. And, and that was a wonderful, a wonderful creative process working with them. And you know, and, and for me, you know, the Power of Two, and you know, and other projects I've worked on, and other projects I'm working on now, I'm very drawn to characters and people who go through. Kind of a life epiphany that takes them in an unexpected direction, and they learn something about themselves that they didn't realize. That then then kind of compels them to do something differently in their own lives that has an impact on others. And this is so exactly what Anna and to have done. You know, they they were sick, they went through transplant, and they came out the other side. You know, as different people who are now giving back to our communities in a really in a really powerful ways. And and I'm very drawn to that. I'm drawn to people who, you know, who who allow that part of themselves to unfold and and very often those are both you know ordinary and extraordinary folks and we learn from those kinds of people you know we see ourselves in them because we could be them
0: Well how long did it take you to make this film
1: It took us about 20 22 months to make the film which is actually pretty fast you know in the timeline of of you know an independent feature documentary um but we were very clear that we wanted to make the film quickly so we could, you know, kind of really focus Anna and Issa's time, you know, I mean, because, I mean, you yourself know because you're a recipient, you know, that that there's a lot of medical concerns that inform the experience of of someone who's post-transplant and being the subject of a documentary can be very rigorous and time-intensive and so we decided to kind of focus 2010, our efforts, you know, making the movie um there were a number of production cycles um several that brought us to southern california one that brought us to dc and richmond one that brought us to madison wisconsin for the transplant games one up to oregon and those were kind of different sprints that we did and um did them very strategically and and then so the japan piece was was kind of fall 2009 and then spring and summer of 2010 we just were, we basically were shooting you know kind of you know Pretty much all the time in different cities, making stuff happen, and I think it was it was really important to do it that way because Anna and Nisa, thankfully, knockwood. they were both in very good health throughout, and that was a great opportunity to take advantage of their high energy and the fact that they were feeling good, and and you know, and I think that that was a testament to how well they do take care of themselves. Uh, but that was that was part of our consideration. We didn't, I didn't want to take stretch this project out over many years, and also it felt like. The subject matter was too important. We needed to get this message out about organ donation sooner than later, so we can, you know, really kind of use the film to educate people about this topic.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing the movie. Uh, actually, this week it's premiering in Los Angeles and New York. Uh, very exciting. Um, uh, but does it also capture too a little bit about what I find so intriguing about Anna and Issa's story is that they were both waiting for transplants, and one of them had to be called first. I mean, I imagine they don't didn't get a call in the same day, so I, I find that incredibly amazing how, you know, I imagine they're pretty much similar in blood type, and I guess they would probably go with who was sicker to get the transplants first.
1: Yes, yes. So, so lung transplantation is typically, you know, um, based on urgent need. I mean, the, the system for getting listed has changed a couple of times in recent years, so you know, Anna and Issa's transplants actually unfolded um, before a major change, I believe, which happened in 2005. But even even still, I mean, you're you're basically right there. Um, so Anna Stenzel had had a transplant first, and um, her transplant was when she was 28, and then Isa was four years later when they were 32. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that sort of staggered approach to their story and experience actually does. Come through in the film, I mean one was always you know a little bit sicker than the other, or one was healthy when the other was not healthy and and there's a very brief period in the movie where they're both very healthy and they can enjoy that together and you know when you when you sort of follow them along this path, you know you you see the ups and downs of transplant in different ways based on their individual stories. you know they have a story as twins and they have a story as individuals, each of them, and what I try to do in the movie is sort of capture all three. I think there are periods in the movie where we sort of stay with Anna for a while, and that was an important decision for me to give her story, you know, some of its own focus, and then the same with Isa. And then there are certain aspects of the movie that are very much about both of them together as twins. The film is ninety-four minutes, and you know, over the course of ninety-four minutes, you kind of it, it sort of weaves in and out of that of that sort of th- those three types of approach.
0: Well, this sounds so fascinating and I'm lucky to live in Los Angeles so I can go to the premiere, but how can other people access this movie?
1: Sure, thank you, Laurie. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot going on with the movie, I'm happy to report. So these first screenings are part of DocuWeeks and DocuWeeks is a Showcase in both L.A. and New York, um, presented by the International Documentary Association, whereby films get actually qualified for the Academy Awards. So we will run for one week at the Lemley Sunset Five starting Friday, August 19th, followed by another week starting August 26th at the IFC Center in in Manhattan. Um, Thereafter, we have quite a lot going on. So we're at a film festival in Boulder on Labor Day weekend called the Life and Death Matters Film Festival, which is an interesting... Film Festival of Films that all deal with life and death issues. Then we're having our own gala premieres in San Francisco and D.C. Um, our D.C. screenings will also include a special screening on Capitol Hill. Those are These are all events in September. We're being brought back to Richmond, Virginia to have a community screening of my film um, with UNOS um, at a theater in Richmond, Virginia, because my film features the National Donor Memorial as, as well. And then moving forward throughout the fall, we have placements in a number of film festivals all around the country. So uh, right now we've been invited to film festivals in Santa Fe, in Akron, Ohio, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, We're part of something called the United Nations Film Festival, which is a touring festival. So there's a lot of different things unfolding. We get new invitations and new information every week. And the best way that people can kind of follow our itinerary is two places. They can of course uh you know follow the film on Facebook, so that's facebookcom of 2 And we do a lot of social media on both Facebook and Twitter, and that's a great place to follow announcements. And then we also have a website um the uh thepowerof2movie.com, so that's all, written out as all thepowerof2movie.com. And there's an events page, and the events page is broken up into different sections for screenings and festivals and and other events, and we're actually encouraging people out there to reach out to us um, to let us know how we can bring the film to their communities. And we have something called our National Outreach and Engagement Campaign that is um, a nonprofit endeavor that we're, we're fundraising for, and we've already received a number of grants to help support getting the movie out there into communities where it can make a difference. So, for example, if you live in you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you want to help bring the movie there, you, we can engage with, you know, a cystic fibrosis center or an organ procurement organization or a local Donate Life group or a hospital or some constellation of nonprofits that can help bring myself and Anissa to come. And the idea is we'd screen the film, and then we would also highlight uh, local stories of other donor families and transplant recipients from those communities alongside the movie, just just to kind of stage a, sort of a high-energy celebration that creates awareness of organ donation in different cities so so that's a lot of what 2012 will be about so to people who are listening to this podcast uh, uh, look for our community screening faq also on in the events area of our website And if you're interested in bringing the power to your community we'd be happy to work with
0: you well it looks like just a fabulous endeavor that you're taking on because you know organ donation is a life and death issue And, and i guess my final question is um what was your biggest takeaway from producing this film?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, my biggest takeaway from producing this film is that we all can be advocates for something bigger than ourselves. You know, we, we go through our lives, you know, we're all very busy. You know, many of us have huge work responsibilities, family responsibilities, health responsibilities, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. And I think that You know, sometimes when we sort of stop and we take stock of how lucky we are, (laughs) um, we can actually, you know, find a place in our lives where we can make a difference. Um, We all do that. I mean, I think many of us strive to do that. We strive to give back. We strive to do things in our communities that can help make a difference. But I do think that by by sort of sharing Ananise's story, which is one of a story of how people can advocate for others, you know, people learn advocacy is is actually a fairly natural way of expressing ourselves as human beings. And it certainly has always been one for me. And in making this film it only really reaffirmed that. And finally the last thing I'll say is that, you know, one of the one of the early taglines for the movie that we used while we were shooting was this idea that there is a miracle in every breath. Because Evana Nisa's you know, lungs being challenged with cystic fibrosis and because of the focus on lung transplantation. So I would I would actually end each interview um, with a different subject, whether it was a, a doctor or an expert or a patient or, or a transplant recipient or a donor family. And I would ask these folks to just sit at the end of the interview quietly and just take a moment to reflect on the idea that there is a miracle in every breath and to just breathe in, you know, just to, to Feel the air go in through their nose and down their nostrils, down into their lungs, deep into their abdomen a few times. And just feel that, that breath and be aware of their breath. And then just sort of share what comes to mind. And that taking that moment to just acknowledge our breath is such a powerful and sort of momentous thing to do. We so we rarely slow down, you know, in our days. And, we, and those of us who can breathe and who are healthy and who are fortunate to have, you know, easy breaths, we just breathe effortlessly, but so people who have any kind of illness, especially those with a lung illness and other types of illnesses, you know, breathing can be labored and it can be tough just to just to breathe. So I think you know the film and my experience is just really to just cherish every moment and 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 sometimes slow down and take stock of, of really how fortunate we are and and just to be be appreciative of the gifts that we've all received every day.
0: Well that was beautiful, Mark. <laughs> it was well said.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you, Lori. And I hope I hope that comes through in the movie and, and I'm sure that the most exciting thing now is that the movie is now gonna be starting to be shown in front of audiences and we can actually see if it works and if people connect with it and if it does get um does inspire them. Well
0: I look forward to seeing the power of two, but I think I think I secretly will call it the power of three because it needed somebody to tell their story. And it is uh, it is somebody that gets behind and, and wants to tell somebody's story, a remarkable story like this, it is a huge commitment, but also it seems like it's been very rewarding and more rewards to come.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Lori. It's really an honor to be with you today. I appreciate your support.